Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. Coming back at you with episode 42, Barbara Daly Bakeland. This is a pretty special story. Um, So I very much relied heavily on a lot of really, really great sources like He Will Kill You. Oh, also... Spoiler alert, all of That's the- my favorite source, too. <laughs> <laughs> all of the sources are like, they give away everything, but also I think that they're funny titles. So funny, not haha. Funny, not haha. Yeah. Oh. So he will kill you, shrink warned mother of Bakeland Plastics Air. Yeah, that just kind of lays it out. Yeah, by David Krajicek of the New York Daily News. Then there's The Fall of the House of Bakeland, which I really like that title, by Christopher Shemmerine. That's of, a Poe ripoff. Yes, it is. Fall of the House of Usher. Correct. And that is by Christopher Shemmerine of the Washington Post. And it's actually a review, partially a review of the book that was based off of this crime called Savage Grace. So I guess there was a book first that is a true story. And then that book was made into a movie with Julianne Moore. And apparently I've heard both that it's terrible and great. So we did not watch it. Well, with a name like Savage Grace, how could you go wrong? Well, I mean, I I guess the book's very, very good. It was well received by the New York Daily Post as well as like other sources and stuff. But I don't think the movie was well received because it took some liberties with the book and the story, I guess. I purposely did not watch it because I've heard enough information out there that says that it doesn't stay true to the story. So I didn't want to mess it up, you know? What about the band? Savage Grace? Yeah. Is there a band called Savage Grace? I believe there is, yes. Oh, okay. Maybe that should be our name. I might be messing it up, but yes. uh, Maybe that should be our intro music. I think it should be. Okay. The next article was How a Society Beauty Was Finally Murdered by a Gay Son She Had Seduced. That really gives well, it away. Uh, yeah, cats out of the bag. <laughs> By David Leaf of the Daily Mail UK. Why read the article? And then there was an article by Richard Bevan from Crime and Investigation UK. And lastly, there's a website called The Famous People. And this is where I got most of the background information on Barbara Daly slash Barbara Daly Bakeland. And it's specifically her biography from that website. It was actually hard to find some of her early information. It was a lot easier to find the Bakeland family stuff because the Bakeland family are notoriously rich and have a long history, which I will tell you about in just a moment. Sociolites. Yes. So... 
We're going to start with a dude named Leo Bakeland in 1907. So it's a little bit of a vintage crime, although some of the crimes recur much later on. In Yonkers, New York, he combined carbolic acid and formaldehyde to invent the first consistently moldable plastic, which came to be known as Bakelite. So do you think he was tinkering with this stuff to actually make plastic or was he doing something like I don't know. I mean, he was a chemist, so I called He's my trying dad. Trying to make meth or something? I call no. I called my dad and my dad is a chemist and I was like, "Hey, have you ever heard of this Bakeland guy?" and he was like, "Oh yeah, he's like one of the first guys to like make like well, your dad worked for reliable 3M, so they he they probably have like a statue of him, right?" No. No, my dad no. worked in so 3M has a lot of different factions, <laughs> and he worked I'm with the mag. He worked with the magnetic tape, like for video oh, audio cassettes tape. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so he wouldn't really care that much about plastic. You know, we've talked about this before, him and I. Okay, so and he also told me that it is pronounced bakelite, not bakelite. So I know a lot of sources say bakelite, but he says it's called bakelite. So that was what the company name became after Leo Bakeland made the first consistently moldable plastic. So Leo became extremely rich. Like, who thought plastic would be such a big deal, right? Some people have posited that he sold his soul to the devil and that this revolutionary material he made went on to help kick off the quote-unquote age of plastics, which arguably we are still in. I would say yes. Yeah, we love plastic. No argument there. At the outbreak of World War II, he actually sold his company to a little place called Union Carbide. Hmm. The Bakeland family said that Leo's motivation was always money, not so much like science, you know, which is interesting. Um, And so that they think that maybe affected how the rest of the family turned out. And what kind of instilled the quote-unquote family curse. Money will do that to a family. Yeah. So his grandson, Brooks, who I'm going to talk a lot about throughout, he was smart and good-looking, but just shy of actually being able to do anything with his life. Brooks was an adventurer whose expeditions to Peru were to search for lost Incan cities, which actually sounds really cool. Yeah, what a um, loser. But I don't think there was like much merit to it. He was just kind of, I think he was just he was going just trying backpacking. to get malaria? No, I think he was just trying, trying to go backpacking and have an adventure. And I think he said he was looking for Incan cities and stuff. Because it's not like he was like a geologist or anything like that or a historian. I think he had some schooling, but... I think that all he really wanted to be was a writer. And so I don't think he continued in any kind of scientific direction or any historical direction with his education. So I think it was just like an excuse to sound like you're doing something credible when you're actually just kind of traveling around on your parents' Yeah, you're just walking around the forest eating coca leaves. Yeah. So he also went on a lot lot of lavish vacations and his family had a lot of vacation spots in Paris, London, New York, and everything was bankrolled by his family's seemingly limitless income. One article said it seemed like he was, quote-unquote, allergic to labor. (laughs) I've come down with that a couple times. Yeah, yeah. So enter Barbara Daly, who is our other, very much a main character in the story, and that's who the episode is named after. 
Barbara Daly came from a mother and a father. <laughs> what? What a freak. And her mother was named Nini, and she'll come up again in the story. Nini had a nervous breakdown before Barbara was born, and she was seen as very unstable and mentally ill, and she found it difficult to cope with having a daughter. This mental instability seems to be a theme. Instability? Instability. <laughs> yeah, so that's... Um, so they're not directly correlated with the Bakeland family yet, but it seems like the Daly family also has somewhat of like a generational curse as well. While her mother was coping with her instability and mental health after the birth of her daughter, to her surprise and shock, her husband, Frank, committed suicide in 1932 when Barbara was just 10 years old. So Barbara's parents were literally a dude who committed suicide and a mentally unfit mother. And all accounts say she was not fit to be a mother. So I'm not being judgmental here. Like, I think she really struggled with raising Barbara. This actually sounds like the beginning of a lot of horror movies. Oh, totally. And it is. <laughs> this is a horror movie. Oh, yeah. So the way that her father committed suicide, which I know there's other ways of saying it, like completed suicide or took his life and stuff like that. I'm just going with what the sources say because these sources are from, you know, a long time ago. But he tried to do it in a fairly commendable way, which I hate to say, but he wanted it to look like an accident. So to ensure that his family would get the insurance money and whether they ruled it as an accident or a suicide or whatever, they did actually collect on his insurance money. I think it was upwards of like a quarter million dollars or something. And in today's money, I think it was close to like $600,000 or so. What so, was the accident? Oh, sorry, I didn't say uh, carbon monoxide poisoning in the garage. That's not an accident. But I mean, like, it could have been like, oh, I fell asleep at the wheel in the garage while my car was warming up. I think he tried. I was listening to this really cool podcast in the garage at the car salon, he, but I, it was 1901. <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that was his way of trying, you know, at least like he he didn't like shoot himself or stab himself. It's supposed himself to be a or, peaceful way to go. Yeah. So I think he just wussed out. I know, but apparently sources say it did try. They, he did try to make it look like an accident, and they were able to collect on the insurance money. And so these very unreasonable women, and at and, and at this point, Barbara's not a woman; she's ten years old. But Nini is not the most well-informed woman in the world, and so rather than I don't know, do something productive with the money, like buy a home, and like pay a mortgage, right, and be reasonable. She probably could have just bought a house outright in New York as well. She could have like moved to upstate New York or something. They decided to go live at the Delmonico Hotel, which at the time was the highest lap of luxury. Luxury? Luxury. Ooh, that's how the luxurious <laughs> people say it. Um, it's, it's, it's the nicest hotel that you could be at. So it's basically like staying at like the Bel Air Hotel or something like that. You know, hundreds of dollars a night. Balling. Yeah. So they decided to live like ballers. Because and and again, like I don't necessarily blame them. You know, they're mourning the loss of, you know, the breadwinner and the family and everything too. So I'm not necessarily judging them, but at the same time, it's not the most sound decision for you. You know, for you and your daughter. What's interesting is I was trying to look up the rates for the Delmonico Hotel, and the Delmonico Hotel does not exist anymore. Do you know what it is now? Can you guess? Uh... New York. Trump Plaza. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Trump Park Avenue Apartments. Uh, so it's not exactly Trump Towers, but it is owned by Donald Trump. So it's haunted. 
So just I looked up the Trunk Park Avenue apartments to see how much they cost just to get an idea of like how, you know, obviously it's not going to correlate with the Delmonico Hotel back in the day, but just to get an idea because it is on Park Avenue in New York or or Grand Avenue or something. I don't know. It's on like some fancy street. Um, I think Park, yeah. 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 Central Park. I don't know. I don't know. A one bedroom, one bathroom apartment is actually, I was actually surprised it's only $4,500 a month. Which actually isn't that bad. I thought it was going to be like $10,000 a month, but it's just one bedroom, one bathroom, and it's only like 700 square feet or something. Sounds like a deal. Yeah. Or you can <laughs> buy your own 14-bedroom apartment. 14 bedrooms. That's an apartment. That's like the apartment from last week, you know, like just this palatial estate. You can buy a 14-bedroom apartment for $18 million. Oh, is that all? That's all. So there's some for sale. So those are active listings, both both of those. <laughs> Barbara experienced her own mental health issues growing up. Barbara grew up glamorously and was a celebrated New York socialite. She began a modeling career and wanted to be a Hollywood actress. She was a cover girl for magazines like Harper's Bazaar and Vogue. So where is the where is the the hardship? I mean, her father killed himself. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) And her mother is constantly having like nervous breakdowns and not really being able to raise her. That's pretty rough. That'll do it. But she definitely knew how. I think it was the mother's way of trying to cope with loss is to give her daughter things. You know what I mean? If she couldn't give her undivided love or unconditional love from her father and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a distraction. I heard this in one source, but I didn't see it many anywhere else. And I believe it. But she was named one of the top 10 most beautiful women in New York. And she was very pretty. We'll post pictures. I promise. We didn't post pictures last week. We're bad. She received a Hollywood offer to screen test, but didn't succeed in that screen test. However, while she was there, she did strike up a friendship with somebody named Cornelia Bakeland, which was Brooks Bakeland's older sister. And Cornelia, which I love that name, Cornelia, she introduced Barbara to Brooks and they immediately, I don't know if they fell in love or lust or whatever. They don't have... Sounds like lust. Wait, they don't have the strongest relationship, I'll say that. They made quite a flamboyant and attractive couple who were totally incapable of doing pretty much anything, okay? So again, we have this adventurer who doesn't have a real job who claims to be a writer, and then we have this wannabe actress who can't land herself a job, and she also posits herself as a painter, who I don't think she ever painted. I don't think she ever painted anything. So there's they're they're both like these wannabes that are very 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 attractive, but not really capable of doing anything. And Sounds about right. Yeah. So they fall in love, and they have a very fancy artsy lifestyle together. And they, you know, the look of them and the social status of them attract a lot of outsiders that are very fancy artsy people like Greta Garbo, Tennessee Williams, and even royalty, which you'll hear about some of her friends later on that are related to royalty. 
Was it one of the parents or was it these guys that were like friends with like Salvador Dali and stuff? Yeah, it was them. So like that's crazy. Yeah. So Tennessee Williams, Salvador Dali, like they just hung out with them. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. You know, it's the last thing that Salvador Dali ever worked on before he died. No. The, the Chupa Chups label. Do you know what Chupa Chups are? No. They're lollipops. They're lollipops that are really popular among Asian kids. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's an Asian candy. I think it's like um it might be a Spanish candy or something, but I don't know. I just it was they're very big among Asian kids. Um but so yeah. Chupa Chups is like suck sucks. I don't know, I guess. Chupa is like suck, I think in Spanish. Yeah, sucky sucks. <laughs> so the last thing that Salvador uh, Dali worked on before he died was the Chupa Chups label. Okay, well. And they're they're pretty labels. It's just kind of weird, you know, he was this like big fancy abstract artist who did all these like amazing things and it was like, and the last thing he ever worked on was the Chupa Chup label. Yeah, sucky suck. <laughs> While they enjoyed their hedonistic lifestyle of boozing it up, parties, foreign vacation homes, and extramarital affairs. That sounds lame. <laughs> Barbara's mental health really started to deteriorate during this time as well. She had outbursts, she was incredibly unstable, and she even tried to kill herself on many occasions. So what's the best decision one can make when there's a failing marriage and unchecked mental illness? I think I know the answer. Okay, tell us. Kids. Yeah, so she decides to have a kid in 1946, and they name him Antony. I wonder if, like, after, like, Brutus and Antony from, like, Julius Caesar. Probably. Oh, how artsy. And he was the couple's only child, luckily, because I'm really glad they didn't create any more because Antony, as you guys can probably guess, is not going to be the most stable child on earth. So this is where that Bakeland curse and you could say the daily curse as well comes into effect. It's kind of like the hills have eyes. Yeah. So Antony temporarily alleviated some marital tension. He actually did. They were both enamored by their beautiful son, and by all accounts, he was very beautiful. Both parents dreamed that he would do something great with his life, like be a celebrated writer or painter, unlike themselves. They also thought he could be a polo player or an actor or, you know, just be like this... I think one website said, like, womanizer or lady killer, like... I don't know if that's like something great to aspire to be. After parading him around like a show pony, Antony often lashed out in odd ways. And also, I'm going to refer to him as Tony throughout most of the episode because that's how he was known with his family and friends. So some of the ways he lashed out were um, he stole and ate other babies' baby food when he wasn't a baby. <laughs> <laughs> survival and, of the fittest baby and he would say things like i never got to be a baby so i'm gonna eat this baby's food he'd say that yeah like he would say things like that okay that sounds normal yeah and he would also tear the wings off of flies to and he claimed it was like you know because of science he won like i mean it is because of science it's science's fault and flies without wings are called walks. It's <laughs> a bad joke. Good one. So it was really feast or famine with Barbara. Either she was completely flooding him with attention or she sent him away to boarding schools around Europe and never talked to him. 
So Brooks did eventually leave the marriage, despite Barbara's repeated suicide threats. He left his marriage with one of Tony's classmates who he brought home in 1968. And I say classmate, I think that she was like 16 to 18 years old. Like she wasn't like a juvenile. She was a young girl. But she was young, and her name was Sylvie, and it it does become his future wife. Uh, she does it. She does become his future wife. So, but she, but he brings her to the house while they're still together, right? Yeah. So, so Tony brings Sylvie, his friend from school, home to Barbara and Brooks's house. Right. So he's introducing his school friend to his parents. And then eventually... School friend, yeah. Yeah, and then eventually Brooks runs off with Sylvie and leaves his family behind. And he pretty much doesn't want to have anything to do with either of them ever again. And partially, it's because during this time, Tony comes out as gay. And even being outed or coming out to your parents today can be obviously very difficult. But you can imagine in the 60s what this was like for Tony. So at this point, his father is referring to Tony as your son, like right. Barbara's he, like, son. Disowns. He yeah, just he, disengages. Yeah, he disengages. He disowns his son to a, to a degree. And then it basically Sylvia is an out where he, he moves back to the United. So at this point, they're living in London and he moves. No, I actually think they're living in Switzerland at this point. They're big jet setters. They're all over the place. But he eventually leaves the family entirely, so he doesn't really have to deal with his son's sexuality or with his crazy wife. So after the divorce, Barbara moves in with her 20-year-old son, Tony, because that's healthy. They started doing drugs together a lot, apparently, and they would party together. She basically was like, this is my new husband, almost, you know? It's bonding. Yeah. So Barbara and Anthony... Or, um, Tony. I don't like saying Anthony. It sounds pretentious. <laughs> you could say Tony. We know who you're talking um, about. So Barbara and Tony enter into a dangerously codependent, psychologically fucked up relationship. At this point, Tony takes on a bisexual lover named Jake Cooper, who is this kind of extravagant cult leader, I think, to some degree. And I think he goes to off to Morocco with this guy. And I think he's like an Australian guy. It's very like worldly sounding. But like Barbara basically loses it at this point because she's trying to get her son back. And she becomes totally obsessed with Tony's sexuality, trying to, quote unquote, cure him by hiring women to have sex with him. Bang him straight. It, that's her that's philosophy. That's they say in the streets. <laughs> So she hires both sex workers and her friends to have sex with him. It's a, you know, that's some motherly love. Well, talk about motherly love. When all of that failed and it didn't turn her son straight, what's the next best thing to turn your kids straight? You got to call on the big guns. Got to call on the big guns. So she decides that she is going to have a go of it herself. And real woman barf. So she okay. So there are some sources say that it's debatable and uncorroborated, but other sources that just straight up say she had sex with her son. And it's super weird that it didn't seem to solve his homosexuality problem. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a whole lot of weird going on here. Yeah, there's a whole lot of weird. Uh, yeah, I heard that doesn't work that well. Yeah. And also during this time, Tony is going to therapy. I, I think that's out the window. <laughs> and was also painting a lot during this time. I want to see these paintings. I haven't found any images of them yet. I bet it's just like stabbed canvases. So he apparently drew slash painted his mother decapitated a lot during this time. Oh, weird. He was diagnosed with both schizophrenia and paranoia. And Brooks, his father, refused to pay for his mental health treatment because he thought it was, quote unquote, amoral. And he was probably more artistic than both of his parents. Which probably. 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 So it's reported that during their five to six years of weird domestic living together, Tony threatened her life with knives. He strangled her. He hit her. And he even tried to push her in front of vehicles, plural. You can see where this is going. This is not good. That seems like some red flags. Yeah. So, and and the whole time she would like brag to her friends about Tony still, like still kind of parade him around like a show pony because apparently he was very attractive. This was after she, banging him? Yeah, I think it's after and during. I, I don't know when the mm. banging happened. Ugh, gross. <laughs> the banging. I don't know when the incest happened, but ugh, I just don't even want to think about it. Okay. So in the summer of 1972, Tony snapped. Weird. And charged at his mother with a knife, but she survived by running outside. That's a good, good thing to do when someone's coming at you with a knife. So in October of that year, Tony talked with his shrink, they said, but it's his psychiatrist. And afterward, the psychiatrist told Barbara that she was in grave danger and that he believed her son was going to murder her. In no uncertain terms. So whatever it is that Tony shared with his psychiatrist that day, the psychiatrist really tried to warn the mother, like, get away from him. He's dangerous. He is going to kill you. One source said she... I, I, I tried to go with the most ridiculous source. Like, all the sources are credible and stuff, but they did have... They, they would not have details in some places. But I did like this one source said... That she replied to the psychiatrist with, he's been murdering me since the day he was born. Oh, that was a real artsy thing to say. Yeah. All of this happens less than three weeks before her death. Three weeks. On the day of her death, she was actually lunching with a Russian princess before going home. What? So she just like was friends with princes and princesses and stuff. And so she was having lunch with this Russian princess and the Russian princess even said that she wanted to talk with Barbara about Tony's odd behavior because she would notice Tony just staring at her with daggers in his eyes and it concerned her. But she said that Barbara always used up all of the space to talk about how awesome her and her son were together basically and how great of a relationship they had and so she said it was awkward and she never had a chance to bring it up so this is the day that barbara dies damn it's like that in, an extreme case of like those people that like 
like say how awesome they're always like saying how awesome their relationships are and stuff yeah. especially online yeah like posting that you know something's and wrong then, like, yeah the next week they're like broken up or whatever yeah so projecting or like a, yeah I don't know. yeah so this is literally 18 days after his psychiatrist appointment where he said he had to have told a psychiatrist i'm planning on killing my mother <laughs> So on November 17th, Tony killed his mother, Barbara, by plunging a knife into her chest in their penthouse on Cadogan Square in London. It was apparently over a minor fight that escalated quickly. Apparently, one of Barbara's friends had called and said, hey, I'm going to come over. And Tony had answered and said, okay, fine. So he told his mom, like, hey, blah, blah, blah is coming over. And she was like, call her and tell her not to come over and all this stuff. And she was upset that he said yes. Really? That was the fight. Holy shit. I know. And it was just, I guess, something snapped. And, you know, obviously she has bigger control issues than telling him, you know, to not have a friend come over. But that, it doesn't matter in that moment. He must have just seemed black, you know? I didn't hear this part of the story. Well... I got more information. Fuck yeah. Afterward, Tony was on the phone. Okay, so Tony actually called the ambulance and said like, hey, get here. My mom is dying or dead or something. And then when help arrived, he was actually on the phone. He's all, hold on. He was on the phone getting Chinese takeout food. <laughs> and he was uh, totally unfazed by his dead mother in the kitchen. He did go to trial and was found guilty of manslaughter with diminished capacity and then sent to Broadmoor Hospital, which is a high security hospital for mentally ill patients. There he was visited by rich and famous people, apparently. Like, again, it's weird. A lot of people, there was this one guy that they named, his last name is C-O-U-T-T-S. And apparently I don't, I don't know if it's Coots or Coots or something, but apparently he was like a big banker and he had a lot of sway in the English community. And he thought that, you know, after the death of his mother, that like basically Tony would have no reason to be violent anymore because like his mother was the aggressor or like the abusive one. The cause of his... Yeah, mental instability. Yeah. So... Um, of all of the people that went and visited him, a lot of them had a lot of like both political and monetary sway in the community. And so after being hounded by these prominent and influential people, Tony was actually allowed to be released like early. I, I don't know if it was early or on time or what. And he was allowed to be shipped back to the U.S. Money talks. So he was there until 1980, which was only about seven years after his being found guilty, not guilty by reason of insanity, basically. So when he came to the States, he was still supposed to be under some sort of like... Some sort of like supervision. kind of I mean, thing, right? I don't think so because he was treated for mental illness and released from the hospital because he was basically found not guilty by reason of insanity, which is their diminished capacity thing. I don't believe you're on. I think that you're on people's radar, but I don't think that you're technically on parole. 
I, I thought, yeah, something I listened to made me think that he, when he came to the States, he was still supposed to be. Well, so his grandmother, sort of his grandmother supervision. volunteered to be his supervisor, basically. Oh, like a sponsor. Yeah. And like most people who are released from prison or like mental, like state mental hospital or something, they have to be released into somebody else's care, whether it be a halfway house or like a family member. Like they a can't, co-signer. <laughs> yeah. And that's why some, I just so you know, a lot of people, one of the reasons they get married in jail is so that they have somewhere to be released to when they get out. Yeah. That is like a really, really big reason. It shows that they can be a member of society and they have somewhere, quote unquote, safe to go to once they're released. So a lot of people who serve, you know, limited sentences, they either try to stay married if they can, if they're already married, or they basically get a wife or husband before their release so that they it's easier to be released. You're more likely to get parole if you're married or you're taking care of someone. What are you supposed to do if you've been locked up for a while like, and then you get released and you don't have anywhere to go? What are you supposed well, to you, do? Well, then most likely if it's parole, they, they'll deny your parole because you don't have anywhere to go to. So that's why they try to set you up with like a halfway house or something like sober living kind of situation, whatever. It kind of depends on what your crime is. But for the most part, if you have a family to go back to, it's easier for you to acclimate back to the real world. And so you're more likely to get released on time or be released on parole than other prisoners that are like antisocial and don't have anywhere to go to after. You're more likely to reoffend if you don't have like a family that will, you know, accept you with open arms. Like I said, his grandmother, Nini, she is in her 80s at this point. She believed he was being unfairly detained and wanted him to come live with her in her New York apartment. Tony's father, Brooks, on the other hand, didn't approve of the move back to the U.S. In fact, he voiced that his son should have received a first-degree murder sentence with no parole. Whew. He also just believed that his son was evil and not crazy. Yeah, he thought he was the devil. Yeah. So while in the hospital, this is, this is weird, apparently Tony would write Brooks threatening letters, specifically saying he wanted to murder Sylvie. And he would also send his little half-brother. So Sylvie and Brooks went on to have at least one more kid. And Tony would send his half-brother, quote-unquote, grotesque and macabre toys that he made at Broadmoor during arts and crafts time. I could not get, I couldn't find out exactly what the toys were, but apparently they were very creepy and unsettling. And Brooks would intervene the packages and throw them away so his son didn't have to see them. I wish there was pictures of those. I know. I can only imagine. Oh, this is, this is messed up. So, one of the grandmother's friends was asked to basically carry a package to Broadmoor or to Tony from the grandmother. And then I think the grandmother basically either guilted her. And she was like, oh, and then you should travel back with my grandson. Mm. And so I don't think she knew. I don't think the friend knew what he did. Right. Yeah. I remember the story. Yeah. And so what? Again, this is like that weird royalty connection. The friend of the grandmother's was assured by the Prince of Denmark 
<laughs> that like this not was even real. I know that this was like a good altruistic thing to do. So she did it not knowing. I don't think fully well that he was a murderer. And it just seems crazy that he was released to like grandma's friend. Yeah. The queen and, of and literally immediately went onto a plane. Like Willy Wonka. Because remember planes at this point, they don't have, you know, TSA like they do today. I can only imagine what the fuck he would have brought on the plane. Yeah, you can bring all the shoe bombs you want. Yeah. So in July of 1980, Tony came to live with his ailing grandmother in a tiny, sweltering New York apartment. And on top of that, she was also healing from a broken hip and needed round-the-clock care. It was hot and cramped in her apartment because, remember, it's New York summertime. Some sources say he was listening to, quote-unquote, morbid music and mumbling satanic masses in front of a shrine to his dead mother, which consisted of candles burning on top of his chest of drawers, surrounded by pictures of Barbara with her ashes as the centerpiece. Wow. Yeah. What what year? uh, 1980. So this, ah, okay. I know, I can only imagine what he's listening to. Well. What's 1980 satanic music or evil macabre music? It's before. It's, it's Merciful Fate. No, it's before Merciful Fate and really? all that. Yeah. Oh, that's 84? Uh, be like late 70s. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Black yeah. Sabbath. He was listening to Black Sabbath. There you go. Or that Come to the Sabbath. What's, what's that? That's Venom. Was that 1980? Oh, wait, what is that? I mean, that's after Maybe. 80. Oh, okay. So he was listening to Black Sabbath, basically. So at 9 a.m., or uh, allegedly, maybe some Blue Oyster You might cult. be right. I can't remember what that, what you're, what's, Come, what... come, come to the Sabbath. Right. I'm f- I, I feel can't. like that's really early. Is that Venom? I... No, it's not. I was thinking it was. Isn't it like Witchfinder General or no, something? No, it's something, it's like some it's like early one of those, shit. Yeah, yeah. It's like some weird... There's like shit. one person listening that knows what we're talking about. There's Everybody not. else is lost. <laughs> yeah, everyone's turned this off by now. <laughs> so at 9 a.m., <laughs> at 9 a.m. on July 27th, only six days after his release from Broadmoor, Nini's nurse came home or came to the apartment to start her shift. And she normally had a key to the place, but because Tony was staying there. She had given up her key to him. And so he had to come to the door to let her in, which was unusual for her. So he came to the door in in only shorts. And he said, Lena, quick, get an ambulance. I've just stabbed my grandmother. <laughs> uh, so Did then, he say it like that? I Yes. Wow. So like he was reading it from a piece I, of paper. I believe that a lot of these quotes are, <laughs> I know, I'm reading it. Lena, help. I'm reading a script. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think a lot of the quotes that come here are from the book Savage Grace. So when help arrived, first responders said that he was running from Nini's room yelling, she won't die. The ni- <laughs> Help, 911. I'm trying to kill this woman and she won't die. <laughs> she won't die. The knife won't go in. She Ugh. keeps screaming. I can't understand it. He says that to the first responders. That is fucking. Okay, so he's lost his marbles. Yeah. So Nini had been stabbed eight times with multiple injuries, including a broken collarbone and ribs. And there was and in the what Savage a Grace woman book, of steel. 
in the Savage Grace book, this is so sad. She's in her fucking 80s. She's like nearing 90 years old. The only places he stabbed her at were straight into bone. And that's why she didn't die is because he was o- that's why the knife wouldn't go in. He was only stabbing her in bone. Uh, Could you imagine fucking uh, 80 year old woman fucking recovering from hip surgery, a broken hip and your fucking grandson who you have been like, you know, supporting since basically day one who murdered your daughter is stabbing you only in the bone <laughs> smashing through that i know <laughs> and apparently it was over like kind of similar to the mom a very minor thing he was trying to call long distance to england and she was like don't call long distance and he threw the phone at her head <laughs> God, it's not funny, but it's sad. He threw the phone at her head and it knocked her to the ground. And then basically he was like, I've done it again, so I'm going to have to kill her. And then like just proceeded to stab her in the bone all over her body. And she wouldn't die because he wasn't hitting any vital organs or like veins. fucked up. I know. So... At the police station, he said he... Okay, ready? So at the police station, he also was saying that he wanted to have sex with her like he had with his mother. I mean, that's how he was raised. Yeah. So Tony was charged with attempted murder and sent to Rikers Island, uh, New York's main prison. And you probably have heard of Rikers Island from Law & Order SVU because that's where everybody is sent. It's a pretty famous one. Yeah, it's a very, very famous We should do an episode on Rikers Island. Okay. We should do it on Rikers Island. <laughs> Let's get arrested in New York. <laughs> and let you guys know what we'll Rikers Island is. do it from Rikers like. Island. Yeah. <laughs> so during his time at Rikers Island, he had received his inheritance and spent about 20,000 pounds, which I looked, I converted it into US dollars and then pushed it to what it would be to in 2020, which is about $80,000. So he spent about 80,000 US dollars today for both protection and to pay people he was in relationships with. So this was very much rumored. I um, mean, what, okay. So the rumor said that two of the relationships were with a guard and one with an inmate who, who had raped and decapitated a young boy. So those were his two boyfriends in prison. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so on March 20th, 1981, he had his preliminary hearing and was denied bail. About 30 minutes after this hearing, he returned, well, he returned back to his cell and about 30 minutes after the hearing, he was found dead in his cell, suffocated by a carrier bag over his head. And it was deemed a suicide so his father brooks actually believed that his son was murdered which i think that there is some credibility in that yeah because he thinks that a violent inmate who basically was wanting to out him in the guard um and for basically like ransom i guess or like trying to get tony to pay him to keep his secrets, Tony refused apparently. And so Brooks gotcha, yeah. Brooks thinks that maybe this violent inmate that was trying to out him maybe ended up murdering him because Tony refused to pay 
a, a ransom or whatever you call it, right? Um, hush money. Right. So Tony Epstein himself. I mean, the official account is that he committed suicide. Right. Same with Epstein. And then the rumor is that he was killed. So I know. Yes. I don't. I don't ever want to hear about point Epstein. Exactly. I don't ever want to hear him about him ever again. So the irony in it that literally every source points out, and you can't ignore it, is that the bag was made of plastic. Oh. The very thing, the very thing that his fortune and curse was built on. Wow. And that is the story of Barbara Daly Bakeland and her dreamboat her son. dreamboat son Tony Bakeland. Wow, well, that was a ride, huh? It's it's hard to be rich and and beautiful. Beautiful and loved and by well everyone. Connected, hanging out with I mean, royalty, especially Danish royalty. <laughs> I know, just the random royalty that they were connected to is crazy. Dolly. Yeah, Salvador Dolly's Dolly. Fucking people. Tennessee Williams, yeah. What I mean, hard, what, what what sucks? What, what's the um? Remember the uh, dude that uh, ran his car into people, but he was a rich guy, and he blamed it on being rich. Yes. What? Oh, the affluenza team. Yeah, this yeah. dude had affluenza. Oh, definitely. Hardcore. It's, what's so crazy is that he basically got off on his crime, you know, and was just sent to the U.S. and is just like surprise, surprise. He's gonna try to commit more murders. Yeah, like, they made course. a lunatic and then they sent him here. Thanks, we've got enough. Yeah. So that is the story. Yeah, cool story, bro. <laughs> it's a bummer one, right? He's a pretty, he's a garbage person. There you go. I mean, he could have like just did the one with his mom and then been over it. I mean, he could have been like his dad and just gone on cool trips. <laughs> or he could have done that, yeah. I mean, his dad definitely doesn't get painted in like the most, you know, flattering light ever. But at least he wasn't a murderer. True. Yeah. So the moral of this story is don't murder your mom. Even you if can... <laughs> she has sex with you. <laughs> oh, I feel sick. Yeah. So you and can this join. Is, and this one's for all the moms out there. Don't have sex with your kids. <laughs> you can join. You can join our Facebook group. You probably don't want to anymore. <laughs> oh, I don't. There's been so many weird incest stories in the news lately. Well, be, people can't go outside, so it's like fucking Texas is Chainsaw too. Yeah, everyone's fuck. It's like everyone's pra they're pretending like they're English royalty and just paying them fucking family tree. So join our Facebook group and don't commit incest. It's illegal here. Yeah. I don't know if it's illegal in London. You could spend your time writing us hate mail instead of banging your relatives. Ew. Don't say it like that. It's so gross. Hate mail? Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at uh, True Crime Dumpster or on Twitter TC Dumpster which we have got some super exciting stuff about that you know we won't say anything quite yet but we got a message from someone super duper awesome about our Yasser Saeed episode and we'll have we'll be having a really special treat come out for you guys in the next couple weeks or so. I need to get back to her. And yeah. I'm it's it, it, I'm speechless when it comes to that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty so, it's pretty awesome, pretty crazy. Up. Yeah, so there's super exciting stuff coming up in the future surprisingly cuz we're the show that talks about garbage people and incest and um yeah 
you please okay here's the deal rate review subscribe i haven't said that in a while but if you're gonna rate us like one or two stars go fuck off you know like we recently got two low ratings that dropped our fucking shit down if you have a problem with us fucking write us an email truecrimedumpster at gmail.com if you got something to say don't fuck up our shit What else do I have to say to that? Yeah, and we also got a uh, a new review recently from a fan who probably gave us a five-star review, and it was a glowing review, so thank you for that. That's it for this week. We hope you come back next week where we keep talking out the trash. Bye-bye.